0: our worship team this morning. At this time, our children can begin to release themselves to uh, children's church. But really quick, before I start, one of the things that I really do enjoy and just like is just being able to hear corporate voices of people ministering. And so one more time, can y'all just amuse me and just use your voices put, can you put that chorus back up there? And can we sing that chorus together one more time without music? Can we just lift our voices together? I would start us off and so I'm not, but uh, Keone, you can hear her voice out there. Keone, get us right where we need to be. <laughs> A testimony and a story and we can all relate to something that God has done in our life, some story, some filth, some mess that we called out to God for. And when we didn't think it was any hope, when we didn't think it was possible, we called out to God and He did the impossible in our lives. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He brought some of us out of addiction. He brought some of us out of these mental crises. He changed some of our finances, our families, our hearts. Sometimes when the world doesn't understand and they make these claims about who God is, they don't don't make those claims from any experience. They make those claims only from some level of reason or some level of intellect, but I don't know anybody who has ever truly experienced The love of God, the way that he has climbed mountains, the way that he has reached out to us while we were running away from him. Who would agree with those who make those claims? For we understand why we get to worship. We understand why he is good. We understand that while we may not physically see his body, we know his existence is true and is real. And so for that, we sing that chorus one last time together. Reckless love, God. oh, it chases me down, flies. we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you that we get to gather in this place and to worship you, to glorify you. And so as we do that, Father, with your spirit, just stay present with us. do we enter and stay into your presence now and as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First Peter, two, verse nine, tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today as we continue in our series, The Priesthood of All Believers, returning the ministry of God back to the people of God. And really, that verse should not be foreign to you guys because I quote it every single week. As we're in this series, as that kind of catapults the entire series, the entire idea of this priesthood is, is kind of catapulted or anchored in this first Peter two passage, it's throughout the Bible, but Peter especially deals with it. And so as we continue in this series that is focusing on trying to help the body of Christ understand and that we are all called to be in the game. That we're all called to do ministry, not just observe ministry, but that God has called us all to get off the bench and to get into the game of ministry. And last week when we kind of hit the third part of this message, we talked about the beauty of the priesthood of believers as it relates to us having access to God. And we shouted and we loved that. We love the ability to be able to say, I have access to God. But I told you guys that I want you to keep that same energy because it doesn't stop at access. Being the priesthood of God, being all called to the ministry doesn't stop with simply meaning that we have access to God. That's where my brothers and sisters of the Reformation missed it. Because they focused on returning access back to the people. But they missed on explaining that it's not just vertical. It's not just access. But then there becomes this responsibility that we should have as believers. As the priesthood of all believers, as those who are called to be in the game, there is a responsibility. We shout, we celebrate, I can approach the throne room of grace with boldness. But we also must keep the same celebration when we start to talk about the responsibilities now that we have. Because when Peter says that you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, right, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, he then says, so that you. That, so that you was a purpose clause. And so it says, this is why it happened, and this is the purpose for why it happened. And so we're going to dabble in that a little bit today. And so this week, I want to start talking about the responsibility. We're going to cover this in three parts, or maybe two. Y'all know me. I was telling my wife, I was telling my wife that uh, I wrote this whole series in one message. Um. And so each week I go and figure out where I had to stop and then be like, all right, n- new part. <laughs> uh, I would always told my wife I was looking at 40, 50 some pages, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out. It's going to this gonna have to be a series because I don't think they want to stay there that long. And so maybe two parts, maybe three parts. When I start chopping stuff up next this week, I'll figure it out. But if three parts, it's all good. It just makes. That just means that. Because, you know, I preach my six to take my break. So that just means I won't get to six before 1 Corinthians. So I told my wife this morning, just in case, you should be ready to teach them about the organism of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. So uh, she always likes those type of forewarnings. Let's jump right into it. The priesthood comes with more than just direct access to God. It comes with responsibility. Uh, If you are a member, you can always, again, go into Church Center, see the resource tab, click it, and there's an actual outline in there for you to take with you that has the scriptures and stuff. If you miss things, it's on the screen. It's typically different than what you see on the screen as well. But the priesthood comes with more than just direct access to God. It comes with responsibility. Peter says, in First Peter 2, 4 through 5, before we get to 9, we're going to stop first at first verses 4 through 5. Again, another passage that we have continued to hit on. But he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. To offer. So we see even after all of that, there becomes this purpose clause. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to hit the to offer today. Next week, we'll talk about what it means to offer spiritual sacrifices. We'll talk about that purpose clause next week. But I want us to notice something here in the language. There's a plural terminology to this. Notice that he says, you yourselves, living stones, holy priesthood, right? Now, to have a priesthood, you have to first have individual priests. So the idea of a priesthood speaks to collectiveness, It speaks to corporate and corporate nature. We are all individual priests together, gathered, being built into a spiritual house. Notice you yourselves, living stones, royal priesthood, but notice we're being built into one singular house, right? And so what God is telling us is that this priesthood is this collective effort of all the followers of Christ, Coming under one house. I'm not my own priest over here. You're not your own priest over there. But we are collectively being built into a singular spiritual house. You cannot be a priesthood if you aren't first acting individually as priests. And so the point is that all of us carry the same responsibility in our individual lives and as a corporate body of Christ. And what is that responsibility? Well, it's to serve God. It's to serve and minister to each other, and it's to serve the world. And so, and so we'll talk about those again over the next few messages, but, what I, but I did want to just start with this idea today. Notice that Peter says that we are a simply priesthood. Uh, that's chapter 9. That's verse 9. We're going to get there. But what does he say in 1 Peter 2? We are a holy priesthood. As a priesthood, we are called to be holy. We still shouting? <laughs> all right. Now, listen, in the New Testament, there are these three, prim- these, these three English words that are primarily used that all stem from the exact same Greek word that means holy. And that's, you'll see the Bible to say holy. It'll use the word sanctify. And it'll use the word saint. All of those English words derive from the same singular Greek word. Okay. And, and, and so all it means is different, distinct, devoted to, sacred, set apart. I think the King James called us a peculiar people. I can't even say the word. A pre- peculiar that's people. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. that's right. I can't say it because I, I ain't never read that one, that version. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know that from memory. Right? I read Another version. But the ideas were different. As God's people, we are different. We are holy, distinct, different, set apart, not meant to look like anybody else. And, and, I, and I, I'll be going off the script. And I, and I love this. Right. Because even in Genesis, you see this idea. He made the animals, the plants, everything else. And then he made Adam. And he only said that Adam was made in his image, in his likeness. Only Adam received his ruah, his breath, his spirit. But then, but then to set us apart to be even more different, Adam had, God brought all the animals of the garden to Adam to name. And Adam, they came two by two. And Adam seen the elephants. And they really weren't elephants back then, but rock with me. The elephants had elephants to hang out with. The foxes had foxes to hang out with. And he looked and he said, ain't none of these like me. And so God said, you're right. So he put him to sleep, and he took from his rib, and he formed Eve, right? And then the Bible says that God brought Eve to Adam, and Adam said, at last, flesh of my flesh. But at last, somebody that is like me, because all them other animals, we ain't the same, right? We have always been distinct. From all of God's creation. Even Peter says that the angels look into our salvation. And he uses this word. They are longing to understand this whole salvation plan because they ain't going to get saved. The ones that were built against God, they just bye-bye. They around here messing with us right now, but they bye-bye eventually. Right? And so they're trying to understand, why are you saving them? They're doing the same stuff we did. Why is there something? Sal- because we're different. We're special to God. And though we marred that image, part of coming back to Christ and redeeming us back to him is he puts us back into this. Hey, now be back different as I created you to be. Be holy. Be set apart. Be distinct. But I need us to understand something before we go deeper into this. God is the only one, though, who is truly holy. Psalms 22, 2 My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And I want us to understand that His holiness is much different than anything that we can achieve. He's set apart from everything, creation, sin, evil. He transcends everything, He is perfect. If you were in no class, you should know those things. And it's important that we understand the holiness of God because this is foundational to His character. Everything that God says, everything that God does, everything that happens from God's perspective should never be separated from his holiness. Because it all stems from his holiness. Even those things that we read in the Bible and we like, ah, that's kind of harsh, God. It it all stems, though, from his holiness. So no matter how it looks to us, we must fight to filter it through God is holy. 1 John 1, 5 through 6. It ain't up there. For God is light. Perfect holy, good, and in him there is no darkness at all, evil, wrong, bad, right? This is who God is. So not, if it's not anything in him, he can't produce it. I don't care who quotes misquotes Isaiah 45. I don't, they, they bad. They messed it up. We'll help them later. But God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And this is what makes God's love so dope. Because I love what uh, Gerald Hawthorne says in, in, in his, um, his Old Testament commentary. He says, the Old Testament view of God is transcendent, and that he was distinct from sinful humans, but not remote or indifferent to them. He was different from us, but he wasn't what deists would say, this, this distant God that you can't have a relationship to. Right? But, but instead, God took the initiative to make the unholy holy, to make the alien a friend. And to reconcile sinners to himself. And I love that because what it says is that God in his holiness, he could have stayed distant. He could have chose to be like, bro, I ain't got nothing to do. But instead, he loved us so much that though he is holy, he still chose to enter into relationship with us. To try to come near to us. To incarnate himself in Christ. To walk with our unholy butts. And when you really understand the the incarnation and relationship to God's holiness and then how jacked up we are, it makes the incarnation and the manifestation of God into Jesus all the much more greater and all the much more a display of his love. Now, secondly, God calls his people holy. He calls Israel holy. He calls those in Christ Jesus holy or saints Right, And this is different than the call to be holy ethically. Well, I'll hit that in a minute. But, but this is different than the call to be holy ethically. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And right? Here the word sanctified is used by the author to say that through Christ, our faith in him, we have been sanctified or have been made holy. And that's in the perfect tense, which means that it's already done, okay? Now, this particular thing has nothing to do with ethical behavior. We'll talk in a minute about that. But it has nothing to do particularly with ethical behavior. Rather, it has to do with our existence as God's people who, like him, are to be different. When we've trusted in Christ, we're set apart from the world by God. That is our position with God. Right, if we're talking about sanctification, that is what it means to be positionally sanctified. It means that when I confess faith in Christ, my position changes. And now I am viewed as holy because he says, "I set you apart now as mine." Okay? Being holy as God's people means that there's no longer that we are no longer the world's but God's. And don't forget we're talking about responsibility right now. The responsibility of the priesthood the responsibility of the church. This is why we're not being religious or legalistic when we try to tell people stop looking like the world. That's not legalism. That's not religious jargon. No, 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 no. That is the call of God when he calls us holy. You are not like the world. So don't be like them. That's our identity called out by God. And I love what Jesus says in John fifteen eighteen to 19. He says, if the world hates you. Understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. And I always find this passage most interesting. Because Jesus tells us that the world will hate us because we're chosen out of it. Yet, the church keeps trying to fight to be accepted by it. Jesus says, hey, they're not going to like you. The church keeps trying to figure out ways to get them to like us. We keep trying to figure out ways to be accepted by the people that Jesus said, I called you out. They will not accept. Okay, logical question. If the world hates us because we've been called out, then how do you think you can get the world to love you again and still be set apart? They hate you because you're set apart.
1: So that means if
0: they're loving you, okay, logical conclusion. I'm just talking logic right now. We have, to think fina- we have to think differently. But the church is thinking just like the world. Financially, we think like the world, right? People spend hours reading and doing things to build capital. But then when it comes to have you studied or are you reading the word of God, I, I ain't really got, I ain't got, you know, I ain't got time for that. I'm burnt out. When it comes to building the kingdom, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. The first thing that goes when some people feel tight or burnt out is godly stuff. They stop showing up to church. They stop going to groups. They stop reading their Bible. Instead of assessing that, hey, maybe all this worldly stuff I'm keep chasing is the reason I'm burnt out. Instead of putting that aside, the first thing we do away with is the kingdom stuff. Because we are thinking like the world. And that's not everybody. And I'm definitely not attacking and making money. But you got to check your, your, your priorities we got to stop thinking that entertainment is just entertainment when it promotes everything that is ungodly. we got to stop thinking that laws are just laws when it promotes everything that is ungodly. Right? And there's a passage in James 4 that warns individuals who want to, like, play with the world. It says in James 4.4, you adulterous people. Why are you adulterous? Because I called you out of the world. You're married to me now. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, we can, we can ask interpretive questions all day long, but it's, I promise you, I, I've done it already. It means what it says. God is like, it's, God don't know this tote line that we play. God is like, you mine or you not? And he says, I called you to be mine, so stop acting like you're not. Now, it doesn't mean that believers don't be playing games in the world, but it means we need to repent and get it together. Jesus said they will hate you. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be in the world. Because Jesus then goes on in John 17, 14 through 17, he says, I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world, so Jesus says, "Hey God, I don't need you to take them out of the world as it relates to existing in the world. I don't need you. I'm leaving, <laughs> but I don't need you to take them with me." He says, "Instead, I just want you to protect them from the evil one." And now people have used this verse for the ever to justify conformity to the world, but let's dead that today. Because Jesus is not telling us to be left in the world because he wants us to just live it up and enjoy this world. His purpose for telling us to not be taken out of the world is not because he's like, I just really think they need to experience the world. It's so beautiful down here. i got all these great things. The way that the world rebels against me, God, just let them enjoy that. And then one day they'll figure it out and get it together and they can come home with me. It's not what he's saying. Right? If he wanted us to be left in the world for the sake of conforming to it, he wouldn't be asking God to just protect us. So what does that mean to protect us? Well, to protect us from conformity. He says protect them from the evil one. Because as they're being persecuted, because I'm calling them out of the world, the enemy who hates them will persecute them. Protect them. Right? Because temptation also breeds a desire to conform. Most of us will begin to conform to the world when we hit our our limit of persecution. When we hit... The limit of being isolated, alone, talked about, mocked, ridiculed. We'll start to be like, well, maybe I can just bend a little bit because I can't take all of it so much. I just, I just want, I'm tired of being the enemy all the time. I just, you know, I, my family, I keep trying to tell them about, I'm tired of them looking at me crazy, not inviting me to the barbecue. So fine, whatever. I just, I'll lower my standard. I'll conform a little bit. Once we hit our limits, we start to conform. But Jesus wants us protected because we are not like the world that we are among and because he doesn't want us to become like the world while we're being amongst them. I know I'm leaving you here, but I, I don't want you to become like them, so God protect them. It's not a passage about conformity. It's Jesus expressing his desire to keep us from conformity. And that's not easy. And I get that. As believers, we gotta, we're trying to figure out this balance. No, no, not, not balance. I learned this weekend at the leadership conference. Balance, no, we don't need balance. I don't need to balance the world and Jesus like there's nothing to balance balance is on the same scale. They're not. What I need more than balance is I need a rhythm of life. What we need to be wrestling through is not how to balance our Christianity in the world. We need to be wrestling. How do I live a lifestyle that is always reflecting God while interacting in the world? I don't want to balance anything. I need a natural rhythm. I need to be able to wake up every day and have a rhythm of me being in the world and looking like Christ the entire time while I navigate what I'm seeing in the world. And I'm not saying that's easy, but I'm saying that's the mindset. God, as as I go out today, help me walk. Help me gain some rhythms. Help me gain some disciplines. Give me some wisdom, some knowledge that I may navigate the culture well without sacrificing holiness. But here's the good thing. You don't have to figure this out all by yourself. Because Jesus also says in verse 17 how we should be protected. He says, the way that we protect ourselves from conformity is through biblical literacy. Y'all know no, I'm always going to talk about reading your Bible. Two things I'm always going to talk about here. Sharing the gospel and reading your Bible. <laughs> but look what verse 17 says. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. Now, in case you missed what I said early, there's three English words that all mean holy. Holy, sanctified, saint. Same word. So look what Jesus says. Make them holy by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart from from the world by your truth. Your word is, okay. The way that we protect ourselves from conformity to the world while engaging with the world is by having a biblical worldview. It's by knowing what God says about the things that are happening in the world. If we don't know what God says about the things that are happening, we unintentionally conform. We don't even know we're conforming because we don't know that God said don't do it. By the way, ignorance, though, is not an excuse. Paul says at one time he overlooked the ignorance of the people, but now he calls people everywhere to repent. So we can't say, well, I ain't know what it says. He can say, well, I got The Bible is still the number one printed book in the world. You can get a Bible. You're choosing not to want to read what I say because you may not want to be confronted with your view in accordance with what God says. But choosing not to be informed does not justify your actions. We should not look like the world but Christ. And then that enters into this ethical aspect. Because holiness does have a a version of ethical, an ethical nature. It first talks about our position, but then it also talks about, but not that you're holy, be holy. Not that you're set apart, be set apart. Not that you're different, be different. So in one sense, holiness is used to denote that God has called us and accepted us, but on the other side of holiness, since we're holy, we're called to live holy lives. This is why I love what um, 1 John 2 verse 15, 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's own possessions, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. When we are acting like the world, all of those things aren't of God. And so we're called to be set apart so that the things that the world promotes we don't interact with those things and look like the world, We'd rather be different than that. So whatever the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one man's own possession, all of that stuff. If we look at our life and we begin to assess our life, can we find those things in our life? where I'm like, yo, I, I am actually being drawn into things because I desire something that God says don't touch. Am I really, am I really trying to build? We, we, and I get it because I love it too. I talk about building legacy, from, but, but, but at what point am I no longer just trying to build legacy and just trying to build, build status? Am I I, I boasting in what I have in materials, or am I boasting in the Lord? Because that's what the world teaches. Boasting what you got. Whatever you got gives you status, prestige, makes you popular. When we start thinking like that, we can be in to say, I'm I'm thinking like the world. And we all trickle into that. I do, too. I'll be at home sometimes. I'll be like, God, be like, boy, stop thinking like that. I'll be like, dang it. Because if I don't feel no conviction, I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, dang it, God, I was just about to do it. But I say this often That our holiness is about a responsibility As well And so Peter says this in verse 14 and 16 In 1 Peter 1 He says as obedient children do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance Don't act like you used to act Before you knew Christ But as the one who called you is holy You also are to be holy Not in abstract thinking But in all of your conduct, as it is written, be holy because I am holy. In other words, Peter says, since God calls you holy as his people, conform to his character and his behavior as well. And I love that Peter quotes Leviticus 19. I'm not going to read it. We'll be here all day. but, But just look at the entire passage. Because Peter is quoting Leviticus 19, where God tells the people of Israel, hey, be holy as I am holy. And then the rest of the chapter, he talks about justice. Read it on your own talks about respecting your parents giving people rest that means let them don't work people to death let them rest let them breathe not stealing not worshiping idols not being greedy not allowing your overflow i mean uh, (laughs) not allowing your overflow to serve you but to serve the poor it says look once you strip the vine of all the grapes don't go back picking up that which fell leave it for those who don't have anything We're being greedy. Your basket is full. They fell out for a reason. (laughs) Don't slander people. Don't hate each other. Don't turn to mediums and spiritualists. All this is in Leviticus 19. Honor the elderly. Don't sexually abuse women. And the list goes on and on and on. And I love this passage because sometimes whenever we think about holiness, we only think about don't have sex. But holiness is bigger than don't have sex. Purity is bigger than sex. Bigger than. That, that, it's in there, though. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> it's in there, Miss Ruby. It's in, it's in there. <laughs> but holiness is a lifestyle that interacts with the world differently than how the world interacts with itself. But also notice that it's, it's not individualistic. It's calling the community of God to be holy. But bigger than that, he's, he's calling... When you look at Leviticus 19, it's all about how we interact with one another. And so our holiness is not just this, I know God and I'm good with God. No. Holiness is connected to how we interact with one another. You can't say I'm holy while holding people oppressed. You can't say I'm holy by treating people unjustly. I don't care how many theological books they wrote. I don't care who calls them the fathers of our faith. That's not holiness our holiness is lived out not in silence or vertically only but it's lived out in community how we interact with each other is how we demonstrate our holiness i don't remember <laughs> but let me also say this holiness is both right now and also in a pro- while also in process yes we're called holy right now because In Christ, we are set apart as his people, but we also are becoming holy as a part of a process. Remember, Hebrews 10 says we've been made holy, but Hebrews 10, 14 then says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Now, go to this next slide real quick. I don't even know if y'all can see this. That's small. Okay. I need to, Because sometimes we say stuff and people be like, oh, that's just y'all trying to wiggle the Bible. So I just want to show y'all something grammatically so, we don't, so, so I don't want y'all to think I make this stuff up. Y'all probably can't see it, and I'm really sorry. No, no, go back. Go back. All right, so you can't probably see all of this, but right here it says verse 10. This is Hebrews 10, verse 10. And it says, of Christ Jesus, every priest stands day after day. Wait, where are we? Oh, I'm here. I'm sorry. Verse 10. <laughs> By this will, we have been sanctified. I read that earlier, right? Through the offering of Jesus Christ. Now, sanctified, I highlighted down here. It's parts of speech. It's a verb. It's perfect, passive, participle, plural, nominative, masculine. Gender has nothing to do with actual gender in the Hebrew language or Greek language. So when people be doing that, it's weird. That's not true. Stop doing it. Listen, verb imperfect. Okay? That's sanctified. Verse 10. Now go back to verse 14, what I just read. Next slide. No, go back. No, go forward. Forward. No, no, you're going back still. Forward. Go this way here, this way with it, yep. Keep going. Okay. Uh, take me, thank you. Just click it, please. Thank you. All right. Verse 14. For by one offering he's perfected forever those who are sanctified. See the word sanctified? Okay, that's what I just read. I wanted you to notice something. There's a grammatical difference. Same word. But it's a verb and it's in the present tense, not the perfect tense. Here's what that means. Perfect tense means completed, done. Present tense in the language means that it's not completed but it's in process. So in one verse... Uh, The writer of Hebrews is saying we're already sanctified. That's our position. But then three verses later, he uses the same word, but he changes the grammatical voice of it. And he says, but I'm putting this in the perfect, I mean, in the present tense, which means you still have a process. You're already sanctified, but now you have a process of being made sanctified. Right? Because our sanctification is right now, but it's also in Process. I only wanted to show you that because sometimes people be like, y'all just making that stuff up. No, there's actual real grammatical reasons why we say the stuff we say in theology. We study the language, we study the words, and they change and they mean things. Grammar actually has something to do with what people are saying. Okay, so now we're in process, but this doesn't mean easy believism. This doesn't mean do whatever you want and you'll be saved, like the singer Tank said about Beyonce when he made that foolish live going at the bishop. I'm oh Tank on my list. I already started writing last night. Tank verse Tank, let's go. they <laughs> 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 a whole live acting like a preacher, bad. Just and everybody like he preaching. Look, the church is mm. wow. preach, Bishop. What? Why don't? Whew. I be I was in bed like, don't do it right now, Tank. Think through your thoughts and do a really good video later on it. I got hours. I, I literally was watching it like, what am I watching right now? This woman literally worshipped demons, <laughs> literally. But I guess that don't. I guess you can still be a believer and worship demons. Guess it don't matter. I ain't even talking about the weird other lifestyle, but she just literally worships demons. She she talks about other gods, but the church wants her to be a believer. We need our celebrities to be believers so bad. Lastly, Peter places a purpose to our holiness. (laughs) I got 11 minutes. I got to go. It's not easy believism. Sorry if I offended anybody who likes Beyonce. I apologize if I offended you. She offends me. But it's not easy believism. It's not. But it's the beauty of grace and sanctification that for us who have not bowed to demons, for us who are not intentionally and habitually, 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 there we go, trying, <laughs> just living our life however we want to live our life, that there is beauty in sanctification, there's grace and life. Though we don't get it perfect, God is like, don't worry, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, listen, I'm covering you while you're in process. But that's not easy believism. That's for those who are really trying. He like, I know you're going to get it wrong. You helpless and harassed. You got, you got some stuff out here. But guess what? I got you in the process. I'm going to make you holy, positionally change you, and then I got you as you grow into who I'm calling you to be. But lastly, and i got to hurry, Peter places a purpose to our holiness. And that's going to come from verse 9. We'll come back to the whole offering of sacrifices and stuff next week. But jump to what 1 Peter 2.9 says. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possessions. But why are we chosen? Why are we His possession? Why are we holy? Why are we taken out of the world? What is the responsibility of being chosen? We can celebrate that I'm chosen, but what is the responsibility well, Peter says that we can proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. The responsibility of being chosen, being a priesthood, and being holy is missional. Peter literally is quoting from our other favorite passage in this series: Exodus 19:5 through 6. Now, if you will certainly listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the people. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Peter's literally just quoting Exodus 19. And what this shows is that God has not simply chosen because he wants to segregate people. God is not choosing saying, I only want these people, only good enough to be my people. That's not why he chose. He wasn't trying to practice discrimination, he chose for the purpose of having a missional people. He had to choose, the whole world was wicked. Right before he calls Abraham in Genesis 12, it's Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. The whole world was wicked. So wicked, he said, I'm dispersing y'all all all over the place. Y'all, you go there, you go there. And then he said, okay, if all of these jokers is wicked, I got to figure out how to get them back. So he said, all right, I got to choose. I'm going to choose somebody. (laughs) So for whatever reason, he chose Abraham. Right, and look what he tells Abraham: "I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people of the earth will be blessed. I chose you so that all the people of the earth can be blessed through you. I didn't choose you because you're special. Right. I didn't save you because you was the best choice out here. He's like I had I had nothing to pick from, <laughs> so I just picked <laughs> you do. <laughs> but this is where it gets so good." Because the same Peter who's quoting Exodus 19, it's the same Peter in Acts 3 who says this. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors. Saying to Abraham, and he's about to quote Genesis 12. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. And then he says, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you. How? By turning each of you from your evil ways. Peter takes Genesis chapter 12, and he says that when God said to Abraham, all the families will be blessed through you. He then says in Acts chapter 3, what he meant was that through Abraham, you would turn people away from the wicked ways to God. That's the blessing. It's not that we're going to have a whole bunch of houses and a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of women and a whole bunch of anything else. The blessing of Abraham was that Israel, because he became the father of Israel, is that Israel would turn people they will be the mediator, the conduit in which God uses to turn people from their sins. And so Abel, Peter says, God sent the true Israel, Jesus, to you to fulfill Genesis 12, that you would be blessed. How? By turning you from your sins. We are not chosen because God just wants. He's, he ain't too, he, he's not He's not partial. So he can't be choosing us for the sake of discrimination. That would make him partial. (laughs) But he's choosing us. So you are a chosen race for a purpose. Not because you just, I'm so special to God. You are. But not more special than every other human being. And so he said, I need my special people to go get the rest of my special people so I can make them one special people. We're chosen for the purpose. That's the responsibility of being chosen. I got to go. So the reason then that Jesus is not asking that we be taken out of the world is because he said, I'm leaving. So somebody's got to stay in the world being a mediator between God and man. That's what a priest does. Somebody's got to be in the world representing God to the people. That's what priests do. This is why the Bible says that you are a light on a hill. Do not put a, a shade over let, let your light be shown to the world. You are the salt of the earth. You, follower of Christ. You, priest. You are the people that are supposed to be calling people to God. And this means, then, that holiness becomes important. Because how can you call people out of something that you're still in? You can't be calling them out of darkness. You're just calling them out of darkness into made-up make, made darkness, makeup on it. It's like a, like a lighter dark. <laughs> but it's darkness. You can't put makeup on everything. And even if you do, you're still the same thing. <laughs> it just got makeup on it. My, my oldest daughter, she's not here today, but she always be like, Daddy, don't put y'all, y'all be saying, I'm, I'm ignorant, so I'll put it on Instagram anyway. I'll be making her mad. She'll be like, don't put me on Instagram. I look crazy. I'll be like, you look like you look. Now, she's beautiful, but the point, what I'm always trying to tell her is, girl, this is you. You need to, you look like you look. I understand makeup and all that is cute. I get it. I ain't knocking that. Uh, only when it's on the pillow in the morning. Praise God, I don't have that problem. And my wife keeps it very none. i guess beautiful but it doesn't change what's underneath there and so we can make up darkness and try to make it as light as we want by conforming to the world but no matter how we try to spin it it's still darkness as god shows in people called to mediate between those who don't know god how we live and conduct ourselves is important and this is my favorite verse, y'all hear me, if you've been around reach any amount of time, I have used this verse so much because it, is, it, it teaches us something. Because the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what Christ are we showing the world? Is it the Christ of the Bible or is it the Christ of ourselves? And Peter, I mean, and Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, I'm not going to read it all, but, but he's talking about callous and darkness and sinful desires and deceitfulness and all of that. And then he says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. You didn't come to know Christ through all of that deceitful desires and conducts of the flesh and filthiness and callous heart. That is not how you come. Then he said, assuming that you heard about him and you were taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self. The one created according to God's likeness, righteousness and purity of the truth. He says you did not come to know Christ in this made up darkness. But the Christ that we. So when we in the world looking like the world conforming to the world. What we do is we draw people to a Christ. That is not the Christ of the Bible. It's a Christ that accepts their old self without change. But Paul says, no, 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 no. The Christ that is true tells us to put away our former way of living, to take off our old self and all of those wicked things that was connected to us. And then it goes on. I didn't put it in there. But then if you keep reading, but then to put on something different, put on holiness and righteousness and the ways of Christ. If you're not presenting that Christ to the world, then you're leading them to a Christ that is not accepting that mess that they're doing. And so we have to be conscious of how we act because if we are representatives of God to the people, then people are looking at us to understand God. That's why when we're wicked and ratchet, people think God is wicked and ratchet. When we hateful, people think God is hateful. When we don't love, people don't think God don't love. Now, we got to redefine what those mean because they think everything, me telling you to change ain't loving anymore. So love ain't love by definition of how people define love. So we have to be careful with that, but the point I'm making is, but if you know you're wicked and filthy and mean and hateful and gossiping and all of that, what are you teaching people about God. But in the same way, if you're doing all of that and then running up to people and people are like, yeah, I want, I want that God. I want the God of Tank who think he's saved too. That I can do whatever I want to do, curse the name of God, not care about, but you know what? God good with me. I don't have to put away my former way of life. I don't have to take off my old self. I don't got to put on nothing new. When we live like that, that is what we communicate. And I'm not talking about be perfect. Because there's another message that does need to be communicated to the world. That, that, that in your imperfections, God can love you. And so we also do need to show the world that I got issues and I ain't right. So I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm calling you to God. Right? And I don't get it right all the time. And you need to know that too, that yeah, you may not get it right, but listen, there is grace and God still loves you. That message needs to be committed. So we don't need to be acting like we're perfect when we're not either. So I'm not telling you to put on a front. But what I'm telling you, what I'm talking about, is the people that are okay with accepting things that are not acceptable and trying to say that they are acceptable. That type of thing ain't acceptable. (laughs) Your imperfections, your shortcomings, we work with that. God works with that. The world needs to see that. But just running around intentionally, habitually doing whatever you want to do and telling people, that's okay, God, I have no standard. You're calling people. You're, call, you're, you're the Pharisees. You're where Jesus says, all right, I got you. I got you, clock. You, and I'm actually, you can't say conclusion right here. I'm done. Listen, you're the Pharisees. You're Matthew 23, where Jesus says, woe to you who make disciples of men. But when you do so, you make them twice the child of hell as you. Because you're leading them to falsehood. They're following blindly, and all you're leading them to is death. Because you have convinced them that they can be like you and still have relationship with me. And he says, that is not true. So where you go, you're leading them. We have to ask ourselves, if as a believer I am always leading, where am I leading people to? Am I leading people to, to a relationship with Christ, or I'm leading people to a facade? To this idea that is not true, that is not biblical. I rather be hated and lead people the right way. I listen. I that that post I put up that was Shandra by Shandra by the way Shandra by the way when that post I put up was from her, and it, and it makes me so excited. Because the only thing, only reason I do this, I don't, I don't, the only reason I do this stressful, mentally, emotionally, exhaustive job of shepherding (laughs) is for moments like that. That when all of a sudden someone has picked up on where I'm trying to lead them, not to worship me and to serve me and to love me, but to know God and his mission and his purpose in a greater way. To call me and say, I, I want to lead Bible study with my family. And I'm nervous and I'm scared, but I'm gonna do it. And then do it. <laughs> and actually follow through with it. That's your sister. That's our sister, hater. Uh-uh, our, our sister. Jesus said, Who my mother, my father, my brothers? Those who do my will. That's my sister. <laughs> Post like I think she's in children's church. Oh, no, she's right there. Autumn's post. Like, if y'all send me more of the stuff y'all doing, I'll talk about y'all too. These are just people that send me their stuff. <laughs> but those are the things that excite me to see the journey and somebody grasping it and getting it. That's what, te- that's what rejuvenates. We, at the meeting, they talked about as a leader, when you're in that state of exhaustion and burnout and dealing with pain and all of the stuff that we deal with, they said you have to sometimes go back, rest, and recenter. Find out your purpose. Find out your why. And so every time I get a post like that, that post, I'm in the middle. I am in the season of needing to rest and deal with some things right now. And that post comes to me, and it recenter my purpose. It recentered my why. This is why I do it every day. This is why I teach three and four times a week, tired and exhausted and sleepy. Y'all don't even know, last week, I woke up Saturday at 11 p.m., I went to bed Sunday, eight, maybe. I'm all, I don't ever sleep. I'm always up, <laughs> always trying to figure out. Me and my wife, we sit up and I talk. My wife would tell you all day long. I'm thinking about, man, how do we help such and such? Hey, man, babe, how do we move? Okay, this person, how do we move this person this way? Hey, such and such is going through something, man. We got, like, what, what is it that, what can we say? God, okay, what, what do they need? Oh, here's our church and this is where our church want to go. God, how, how do we the reason service be God, how do we how do I get service to be more I gotta and I gotta stop so it can be inclusive today. <laughs> but how do I how do I get the people to minute? How do God all day long? This is what happens in my brain. And it's because I literally only want to see people led into a relationship with the Father. Led into a deeper relationship with Jesus, to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. But if we're not so so I so I live my life to the best of my ability, and I talk about how we should be living, and everybody that gets mad and hated, I say <laughs> they hated Jesus. Whatever, I do my best to do it lovingly. I do my best to do it great, and after that, then you just don't you hate me. You want Jesus talk about that? The sad part, though, is when Christians attack other Christians for trying to live right, that's the thing that, that's what makes me upset. That's the one that I'd be like, who is this person? This, who is this imposter? Why are you attacking me or you for just trying to edify the body of Christ to live like if that's upsetting you? You have to ask yourself, why? Why are you mad at God's word? As people of God, we can never fully Understand, we can never fulfill our priestly responsibility if we refuse to be set apart from the world. A generation of God's people are still acting like Israel, conforming to the world instead of ministering to it. This is why Israel failed when you read the Old Testament. He called them to be lights to the nations. They went into the nations and did everything like the nations. And so they failed at ministering to the nations who God was. And so we have to be careful not to do it. But this also means that it's not just the pastor who has to watch his conduct. Because so many people think that. Well, of course you don't do that. You're the pastor. And you're a priest. I ain't the only one I got to watch what I do in public. You do too. Some of y'all got y'all playlists public. So, Hey, listen, this... This, this media world, crazy. I just type your name in and see your whole playlist. <laughs> they like snaps. Make, look, somebody put their phone like private, make that private. <laughs> Mine is, by the way. But not because there's anything wrong. I, just, I don't need y'all to know. <laughs> Sometimes I do research. <laughs> We're all called to the same ethical standard. <laughs> Call to the same ministry of calling. People to God, to proclaim the gospel. The priesthood of all believers is not simply to be embraced for the purpose of celebrating access. It carries a responsibility to holiness and evangelism. That is our ministry to the world, and that's where we will talk about our ministry to God and our ministry to each other. But I just really want us to, to get that responsibility. That as priests, we have a responsibility to holiness. As priests, we have a responsibility to mission. We're not just a priesthood for the sake of being a priesthood. We're not just chosen for the sake of being chosen. But there is a reason God did it. And so embrace that reason. Deal with whatever you got to deal with that makes you struggle or really want to walk into what that purpose is. But embrace it. Because we have a purpose. And I know we got to figure out our individual purposes. But if your individual purpose question is not starting with what is my purpose for the kingdom, first then the purpose you're seeking will always lead you into places that doesn't give you margin for kingdom. Your purpose is always connected to advancing the kingdom of God. How God uses you to do that differs. But we have to always think about our purpose in relationship to how do I advance the kingdom of God in my purpose? And does it give me margin to do so? If your purpose gives you no margin to serve God, you need to reevaluate. I ain't trying to tell people to make whole career changes, but I'm saying you need to reevaluate or figure out. Ask yourself, wait a minute. Maybe there is a way to make purpose, but ask yourself, how then do I use what I'm doing to glorify God? I'm not just on my job to make good money. That's a a benefit. But who is here that God is trying to reach that he placed me here? I'm not just in this family because my parents had sex and birthed me. God Put you in a family for a reason. And so what is the way that I can be a light to my family, that I may call my family to God? He ain't just put you in this church because you found it on Instagram one day. But God, what are you calling me to do in this local body and assembly? How do I fulfill my purpose in the ministry? How do I fulfill my purpose in my house? How do I fulfill my purpose at my job? All of it runs together. And so as you get to break into, we got to do this now, as you get to break into your your groups of three to five, if you're a visitor, every week what we do is after we worship, after we have a word, we turn to each other and we get into groups of three to five. Listen, if you got kids, they still count in the group, three to five, (laughs) right? But we get together and we begin to minister to each other. What is something that God has said to you in the message? What is something that you heard? How do you encourage somebody? And so we do that for about 15 minutes, then we come out, take communion, announcements, offering, benediction. We're going to do some celebrations, and then we go home. We still don't. This is not a time to leave, guys. Church for us don't end at 1255. It ends at 1:30. Right? That's why we don't make this an option at the end. We put it in service because it's important that we learn to minister to each other. And so at this time, we're going to turn and you're going to begin to minister each other. Also, if you've been in the same group, go across the room. It's also a time to meet another brother and sister, hear another brother and sister, get to know another brother and sister. There's another I tell after. But if you've been go across the room, get in another group, talk to somebody else. And to see what God does in those conversations, we'll do that for about 15 minutes, come out of prayer. And then we'll we'll conclude the rest of our service. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And as we go now to minister to one another, I pray that our conversations will edify us. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.